All right, everybody. So today we have Dr. Brandon Roberts. How are you? Doing well, Dave. How are you doing? Doing good. Long day at the office today. Literally like just came home. Haven't eaten yet, but uh, so I'll be getting hungry. Appreciate that. Yeah, but I think my dinner's cooking now. So uh, for people, I mean, like I was just saying, you know, I've seen your name a lot, like for years now, and I've seen you on different podcasts, but we never really connected until recently. So for people who don't know, what is your background in this space? Yeah, so I have a, a bit of a diverse background, I like to think, at least. Um, so I have a bachelor's, master's, and PhD from the University of Florida. I was originally doing like molecular biology, and then I found exercise science, and I was like, oh, I can combine those. And so yeah. my, my PhD was in uh, muscle biology, but more on the muscle wasting side, so like cancer, disuse, things like that. Um, and so you know, that was four or five years ago, but I realized like, I just, that's really important. And I'm happy. A lot of people are studying it, but that's just not what I wanted to study. Yeah. Uh, so I switched over and did a postdoc in resistance training and clinical trials and still keeping the muscle theme basically. Um, and I did that for a few years and then kind of bounced around done a lot of different stuff since then. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you know um, Miguel Blacout? Yes. Yeah, I've talked. And to him now. I feel like he kind of said almost like he went the opposite way, where he was, you know, into the exercise science and all of that, and then he felt like it was more important for him to do. I, I don't know exactly what he's doing now. Something with neuroscience, I believe, um, like maybe degenerative diseases. I probably mixed that up a little bit, but yeah, kind of the opposite way there. But it is interesting. I mean, I studied exercise science in college. Um, but I always knew like I was either going to med or dental school. So it wasn't really like, I don't know if I would have chosen it if it was, if I didn't have future plans, it was more like, okay, I could choose any major as long as I had my prerequisite classes. Um, and I obviously enjoyed it, but it was already a passion of mine, you know, well before that, but in this space, I'd say, you know, there's quite a lot of people who have that, at least as an undergrad, you obviously took that further and further. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've mentored a lot of exercise science students who have done like different things mm -hmm. and it's a great major for like, you know, pre-professional school, like bigger school. That's great. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, one of the things I had seen you posting quite a bit on recently is ashwagandha. Mm -hmm. And that is a supplement that I've taken at least five years, not all the time, but it's funny. It's like one of those ones where the research, you know, I'm kind of convinced by the research and then I never feel anything from it, but there are other supplements that I don't necessarily feel like fish oil that I feel like is worth having in there. Um, and so oftentimes I'll say, okay, I'm taking too many supplements and I'm not, it's funny. Like I've always been, I wouldn't say anti-supplement. I just never thought supplements were that worth it, but mm -hmm. that's more from like a bodybuilding standpoint. I don't think they're like super valuable, but from a health standpoint, there's a few that I actually do think are worth including. Um, and so ashwagandha was one where I'm like, eh, it's kind of like B level, or at least it wasn't my mind. And I would say, I'm going to stop taking it. And then I just kind of run through the research again and say, well, science does this and there's some research to show this and this and this. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> and that's happened a few times now. So um, what are some of the variables for that you have studied or that you've been uh, reviewing? Yeah. So I, I was kind of curious about it. I've tangentially heard of it over the past five or six years. And I was like, okay, enough is enough. It's not in my supplement stack and I'm not a huge supplement person either, but um, let's like dig into the 10 good papers there are on it and see what the data says. Um, and pretty much the strongest effect is for like 
anti-anxiety or anti-stress. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, if, if there's one thing it does, it does that. I don't know uh, if you gave it a percentage base, I would say like 10 to 20% somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is one of the more reported effects across like, um, you know, all people with chronic stress, people, normal, healthy people, like people exercising, doesn't really matter. Usually it, it helps with stress. Um, you were saying a 10 to 20% reduction in stress. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, if I had to ballpark it, that's probably what I would say you would get by taking it if it, if it helped you. Um, so the other kind of uh, benefits that I saw and have, I'm, I'm kind of still on the fence on a lot of them. Um, so the performance benefits, I'm really on the fence on, but it seems like they can, or it can increase like your VO2 max, your endurance. Mm-hmm. And there's two or three studies on that. And it ranges from like untrained people to, I wouldn't call them elite, but I'm going to call them like, weekend warrior, good weekend warriors, yeah. <laughs> um, looking at the VO2 maxes. Uh, and then there was, I think there was one study with resistance training and it just like strength, testosterone increased, um, recovery was better. Like they had less doms, you know, it was just like across the board, everything that I really care about. Was yeah. Better. Right, right. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I have to at least try it. So I've been taking it for probably two or three months now. Um, and what dose? Uh, let's see, like 600 megs a day split across two doses. Okay. Yeah. So like 300 in the morning, 300 in the evening. And that's one of the areas that the research, it's almost always split across a day or it seems like it, the way it's written, it's split that way. Yeah. Um, but it's not super clear either. So like if I, if I had to say, you know, an ideal time to try to take it definitely with a meal. Um, because I don't know if, have you ever taken it on an empty stomach? Yeah. Quite, a, quite often I would say. Yeah. Does it affect you? It, it like, it like messes my stomach up. I don't really? Know yeah. No. And I, I usually have, I mean, it's weird. So I have like some GI issues, but it's not like standard things. Like some, a lot of things that will mess somebody up. That That's not my typical experience, but no, I can't say it's ever messed me up. Okay. So I've, I mean, I've heard both sides, but um, you know, generally with meals is how it's recommended to take. Uh, so yeah, like I did basically on Instagram, I'll do like a week of content on something and I chose Ashwagandha for that week. And it's just, I, the more I look back at the data, the more I'm like, well, if it's not, if it doesn't have any contraindications, at least for a couple months or anything that I've seen to be worried about, then it's probably worth at least trying. Um, so I tried it for a while and I, I think it helped, but then I stopped and I haven't noticed anything since I've stopped and I'm like, right. Well, maybe it didn't do anything. Yeah. (laughs) I have that happen a lot. I mean, it's, it's so hard, obviously with like an N equals one, right. I mean, you just, you never know. Um, I want to circle back to a few of those things. So I currently take, so I used to take it three times a day because that's what I saw recommended, but that was just based on like what the supplement said, you know, and then I actually looked into it. Like you said, a lot of research actually uses two times a day. So I do you know, I, I don't know the exact, it's probably 450 to 500 milligrams twice a day. Um, yeah. so a little bit higher and I used to do three and I was like, that is just, it's really annoying. Like taking it when you wake up and before you go to sleep, just for supplements in general, I try to break it up into two, anything that I have to take three times a day. I'm like, this is just starting to get irritating. Um, yeah. but I, I can't say I noticed really anything, but I'd like to think it helps. Um, 
you said VO2 max, you were saying from untrained to, you know, not elite, but like, you know, athletic, let's say, have you looked into like VO2 max research in general much? Um, yeah, I mean, so I've done some VO2 max. It's just like a standard protocol that most exercise scientists should be able to run uh, yeah. in general. With have like you tested your own? Yes. So that's why I said kind of like sub elite. So my right. last VO2 max, I was like, I was not super trained at the time, but I was like 48. Okay. Mills per kg. Yeah, no, no liters of oxygen per kg. Yeah. 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 And that's like, that's nothing special. Like there are the people who do endurance races, like are up in the sixties to eighties. Yeah. I read an article. So I've, I've been more interested in VO2 max recently. I read an article and I was like, (laughs) it's funny because, you know, having gone through like all of dental school, all of undergrad, you learn from professors, but sometimes you wonder like, where did you get this? Right. And then like, cause really like, what is like the primary source of information? Like if you read the studies, like that's where they're getting their information. And so more and more in recent years, I've just like gone to the actual studies. And I saw a paper one time, like a, when I say paper, I don't mean like a research. I mean, somebody like wrote it on, like on some website and they were saying, you know, it's common for male athletes to be in the 70 to 80 range. And I was like, no, it's not like, (laughs) It's not at all. (laughs) And if you look at studies with athletes, like college soccer players, they're often like 55 to 60. Now, sometimes they're higher than that, but these are like lean soccer players in college. And like I said, they're like 55 to 60. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, I I don't know where you're getting these numbers. I mean, some elite like um, cross-country skiers and rowers will be like in like the 70s. Um, But yeah, so I've had mine tested a few times and I was around, I think I got... 49 twice and then i really wanted to hit 50 which again like you said is nothing special i mean i don't i weight train three or four days a week i do like one hit session a week and some low intensity cardio so i'm in no way like a you know cardio athlete and i i still have not hit 50 so i was like it's annoying i think but also is it worth it for me to train just to hit the number i don't know because i mean you probably have better access to it than i do yeah um i you know when i was studying actually science in college I had access to it. Now I have to like see a cardiologist basically if I want to do it. So, I mean, I don't know if somebody came to you and said, Hey, I want it like just a random person said, Hey, I know you run a lab or whatever. Can I test it? How open do you think like a researcher would be to that? Um, uh, depend. I mean, I've done it for people that I, I know, like, yeah. it's not, it's not a huge, problem it takes you know an hour or something mm-hmm. and we we did it for a lot of athletes on like college the sports teams and stuff yeah. uh, just because coaches were like we need some kind of baseline so that we can post test later and show right. like hey you put in work and you improved right right, right. and so we get a lot of that stuff um yeah, it's a pretty miserable it, test right it's so miserable <laughs> it's <laughs> the hardest test i've done i mean it sucks especially because i have i want to say i have an ego but like i i have an athlete's mindset of like, I'm going to push until I literally can't until like, I'm about to fall on this thing, or you have to stop it. And yeah, it, it can be, you know, pretty rough towards the end of it. We, we did a couple studies where we would do blood draws during it, like before wow. and or during and after. And it's like, so I, I was not, they were endurance athletes, but I, I, never did it. And I was like, I don't know how you guys are doing this. I'm yeah. just like, this is insane. So where they have like an, an IV hooked up to it or? Yep. Wow. Yep. And you just came up and kind of tapped it and then filled a tube. Wow. Yeah. That, that, I mean, cause it's obviously you already got so many wires and the mask, it's already so hard I, <laughs> to have something in my blood vessels as well. would be a little distracting. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's, it's a very, you know, gold standard test. It's yeah, for sure. not terribly hard and it's good. Good. I feel like most people should know about it at least. Yeah. So when you were talking, and I know you're just kind of estimating the 10 to 20% reduction in stress, um, are, are the studies typically using subjective markers, like, you know, their reported feelings of stress, or are they using like cortisol measurements and things like that? So a little bit of both. Um, I would say there's more evidence in kind of the questionnaires. So the, who has a life, a quality of life stress questionnaire. There's a couple other like perceived stress questionnaires that are just very like standard, like stuff you can trust. Um, not like the researchers made up a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And so most of that is, you know, leaning towards helping reduce stress. And then there's a very physiological decrease in cortisol, which kind of matches the, the qualitative or quantitative stress reduction um, or qualitative okay. by about 15 to 25%, I'd say. So it's oh, a little okay. bit more, um, which is, and it's been repeated over like multiple studies. And I'm like, okay, like I don't, again, I'm not a big supplement person and I don't right. really trust this, but I, I mean, at one point you say, okay, that's it. Like, yeah, it, it works. Do they have any mechanistic data on it yet? So that's, that. I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that always concerns me. And the short answer is no. Uh, there is no molecular pathway that we could say, hey, you know, it, it inhibits this and that's how it's working. And I think until we figure that out, um, I'm always going to be a little bit skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially because there's, and, and I don't know the conflicts of interest in these studies, but I mean, if there's 10 of them, that's a decent amount now. Um, the fact that it does so many things, I, I'm just kind of like, how, like, how is it doing that? And that is it completely different pathways for each thing? It just seems surprising. Yeah. And there's even like, so you're talking all these different tissues too, right? Like it's not just muscle or just like your lungs or your blood or like it's, it's multiple tissues. So these pathways may be this, maybe, you know, the same in one tissue, but sometimes they do different stuff in different tissues. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of like a little, a little baffled still. Yeah. Uh, and I will say, I looked into uh, KSM 66. You've probably heard of that mm-hmm. brand, right? So that's a big company that does like a lot of purifying and they probably have one of the seems to be better products, but they've also sp- sponsored a lot of studies um, or at least given the supplement, which is not like sponsoring, but it is, you know, Hey, yeah, here's a yeah. supplement. Um, and, and what, cause I've seen a lot of people mention that, that brand or that version of it. What are the reported benefits? Like, are they saying that this is the same product, but just their brand? Or are they saying that it's actually a different product? So it's only the roots okay. instead of the stems and leaves. So um, it's stronger, I guess, essentially. I watched the, I, so I did a little digging into their company and they have some videos and some like patent stuff. And it was like, okay, so you, you stick with the roots, which seem to have more of a benefit or more components that are beneficial. Um, mm. But that's all I could really get from it. That's one of the things that it's a little makes, you know, the whole supplement world even more confusing. I mean, first of all, it's like, you know, does the supplement do anything? Then it's okay, if it does something, does this product actually have it in it at all? Does it have the right amounts in it? And then on top of that, it's like, you know, there's certain like um, dandelion root versus like the actual, like, 
I don't even remember, it's like the root stem, the, the leaves, like they apparently have different effects. So then if they just say, well, this has 500 milligrams dandelion, well, then it's like, well, of what, you know? And I don't know if that applies to ashwagandha, but I'm just saying you start getting into these things and it's like, you know, maybe you're spending all this money and it's for naught, you know, maybe some ashwagandha actually really works and we just got the ones that didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not regulated either. Right. So right. you, you literally have no idea. There can be batch and lot differences. There can be all kinds of small differences that are really important physiologically, but we get the, the same bottle or the same bottle, like from the store, different storage or something. And they're completely bit different. Um, right. For sure. Even though they said something. And I think ashwagandha falls into that category of like, like Ayurvedic medicine, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I cannot pronounce that either. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's its own world, I guess. I mean, some other thing, have you heard of Arjuna? I have. Yes. And that's uh, one that apparently is fairly well studied. Um, Abana, I believe is a product that has it. I actually know some like pretty intelligent people who are, into those supplements. Um, and I've seen, again, studies, but you know, they're supplying the product. It's tough because some of them it's like, wow, this is really promising. Um, but again, coming from background of more like medicine where it has to go through like so many trials and, and approvals, um, it's, it's hard to really know how, how much it's really worth it. And again, going back to the fact that it's not regulated, is stuff tainted? I mean, it gets a little iffy. Yeah. And what, so I'm, I'm going to slowly make my way through the like adaptogens after oh, okay. seeing awesome. what I saw with ash, ashwagandha. I'm like, okay, well, if this has these benefits and maybe it's not the most well studied, if I move on to something else, um, like you hear a lot about ginseng, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, ginseng is way more popular than ashwagandha. So, yeah. and, and I bet there's more studies, but they're not, they're the same quality that's kind of the question. Um, but it's, it's opened my eyes a little bit to explore some of the, the herbs and things that are not like creatine and caffeine. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, if for no other reason than like, we've got so much of that, at least it like, it's something new, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain to you what an adaptogen is? Um, so it is something that helps reduce the stress that you create by doing something else and that something else could be exercise. It could be the stress of life. Um, I've looked up a few different definitions and they're all like along the same lines, mm -hmm. just something that helps you adapt to stress. So in general, it, it's always reducing stress from, cause I, I've seen one definition that mentions something along the lines of, more just regulating it at like a proper amount rather than just bringing it down. Um, yeah. And it's been a while since I looked at the definition of it, but I remember seeing that somewhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that could, that could also work. Um, the, the problem is most people have too much stress, right. not necessarily like not enough. So yeah, the right. only example I can think of someone having not enough stress is if you're in the gym and you're going to like RPE five, <laughs> right? And you haven't changed anything in like five years and you, you see right. these people. And so then I'm like, okay, well, they probably need a little more stress. Right, right. Yeah, in general, it's not such a big issue. Um, so you're going to look into ginseng. Are you having it at this point? 
No, I haven't. I've, I have a long list of things to look into and I do a lot of like research reviews for different people and and different, you know, weightology examine, um, stuff like that. So it, it just, it's there. It'll get there. Are there any other supplements that you've kind of been surprised by where you like, it was kind of off your radar. And once you looked into it, you were impressed. Hmm. Not yet. Um, I did. So we did a, during my postdoc, we did a clinical trial with metformin, which is not like it's FDA regulated. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the hypothesis of that study, that clinical trial was that it would help older people, um, kind of mitigate or lower the inflammatory pathways with resistance training. Cause with older adults, they resistance train, but if you push them too hard, their muscles kind of, kind of freak out a little bit and get inflamed and, and they don't adapt like younger people. And you say older adults, roughly like 65 older. Yeah. yeah. 65 and older. Um, so I really thought that that drug was going to like do something for these people. Cause we had some good pilot data and then it turned out it like, it didn't do anything. Um, so that was surprising on the, opposite. in regards to inflammation. Yeah. So inflammation or like muscle size or strength, it really didn't do what we thought it was going to do. Yeah. Um, and maybe even like hindered it a little bit. Really? Uh, yeah. So do you think that's through its blood sugar lowering capacity or I think, uh, so they, there's, it also deals with macrophage, um, polarization and so when when you kind of it helps them go from was it m1 to m2s or something like that it's like deep deep um medicine type stuff uh, i think it didn't do that or that didn't matter as much as we thought it would okay gotcha yeah, yeah metformin is on a small list of drugs that you see some people talk about in like the longevity space you know yeah, yeah. um like different hormones, obviously like HRT, um, metformin. Some people are talking about like rapamycin now. I mean, you know, I'm all for the idea of like trying to like push longevity and, and finding something. It seems like a lot of these things like metformin is a great drug, but it's, you know, if you are already healthy and doing the proper things, it, I haven't seen anything convincing that it's really going to, you know, enhance uh, lifespan or anything like that. Um, and unfortunately, it, that seems to go for a lot of things. You know, there's some research I've seen on fasting where, you know, if you had a poor diet, it helped. But if you already ate a healthy, nutritious diet, it didn't. So, you know, some of these things might be able to make up <laughs> if you're living a crappy lifestyle, but not, I, I still haven't seen too much that really helps, um, like it, the core basics that we already know that really add on top of that. And you could say the same thing with training too. You know, it's like, well, maybe a protein supplement helps, you know, if, if you study even branched chain amino acids, which almost everybody craps on nowadays, if somebody's eating, you know, you had a, a 200 pound male eating 50 grams of protein per day, I bet he's going to get a benefit from branched chain amino acids. But if he's yep. eating 200 grams of protein a day, he's almost certainly not. And a lot of these things, it's, it's like, Unfortunately, I, I'm just not seeing much to really convince me that like, you know, we, we have this next big thing. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find those differences too. So as like a researcher, when you're looking for like, all right, so you're doing 90% of the stuff, right. And you're looking for like a two to 4% benefit. Yeah. It's like, okay, 
well, to do that study and find that I've got to have like 20 people or 30 people in a group and mm -hmm. that's hard. And then I've got to make sure I'm doing everything else right. And they're actually following the protocol. So yeah, I mean, most stuff we know, and it hasn't changed much at all in the past 20, 25 years. Yeah. Which is depressing. <laughs> it, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw um, an oncologist recently talking about that too, that, you know, a lot of people think that we've just made these like unbelievable strides in cancer treatment. And the reality is like certain types of cancers we have like a few select ones we've really made, you know, advances in, but for some we've made like no progress for decades. And it's just kind of like, ugh, really <laughs> don't burst yeah. my bubble. Yeah. Uh, so I was doing, um, some COVID testing today, like the test for like positive negative mm -hmm. and, I was thinking, just like reflecting as I was doing it, I was like, they got this vaccine out so fast. This is ridiculous. I yeah. wish science always moved at this rate. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, that's like one of like the things that saddened me about the world is like, when you think of how much money goes into things that either that we don't need, or it's unfortunate that we need, for example, like, obviously we all need militaries because who knows what some other country is going to do. But imagine if we didn't and the billions and billions and billions of dollars could just go into scientific research, like how amazing that would be, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. It's just the flaw of humanity, I guess, not to get too existential here, but <laughs> right, right. Um, okay. can, can you explain to people who maybe don't have any research background when you said, well, in order to determine this like two to 4% difference, we need X number of people. Can you just explain why you would need more people to show a smaller difference? Yeah. So it, it all kind of boils down to variability between people. And this is one of the reasons we can get away with all kinds of different training protocols and different nutrition practices is if I do something and you do the exact same thing, there's some genetic underlying components and probably things we've done over the past, however long we've been alive that cause variability in how we're going to respond to something. And so to tell a difference between say we're doing different things now to tell a difference. I need to make sure it's not that just variability within like measurement. And so what I can do is I can do some stats. So basically a power calculation and I say, okay, I expect that let's say ashwagandha is going to have a D a small effect size. So 0.2. Um, I think I don't, I don't have a great reference for this in the first effect size stuff, but I think less likely, um, com has some stuff. Anyway, you can calculate effect size by comparing the two means and then dividing by the standard deviation. So if you can kind of guess on the effect size, you can plug that in and then figure out how many people you need per group to run your experiment and see that effect size, and then statistically be able to tell the difference. Uh, exercise science, and if you've ever heard me on a broadcast, I've probably mentioned this. Exercise science is terrible at having like underpowered studies or right. studies that just aren't quite powered like appropriately. So they'll compare like training protocol A and B and say B is 30% better. Like you're going to get 30% more muscle from B. And it's like, well, like you shouldn't get that much of a difference right. if you're doing stuff right it's like one set versus like seven sets like, right right <laughs> um so yeah that's just kind of the very baseline of how we power studies and and what you need and 
it can be like the smaller the difference you want to see, the more people you have to have. Yeah. Um, and probably the last one on supplements. I'm just curious, do you, have you looked into curcumin at all? No, I have not. And I get asked about that one quite frequently. So that, that ginseng and curcumin are on my, my like list. Yeah. I'd love to see what you find from that. Um, because that is from what I've seen pretty extensively studied. Um, I forget the last time I, I saw it on examine, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's hundreds of studies on it at this point. Um, and it seems to be, you know, from the ones I've seen, and there's, you know, a lot of different um, variations. Now, the last time I checked, it's like the, I don't know, whatever base curcumin isn't really absorbed that well, but now they have um, BCM 95. They have one called Mariva, I believe it is, that apparently have much higher absorption. And it seems to show quite an anti-inflammatory effect. That, that's one of the biggest effects I've seen from it. Um, you know, but again, you know, I'd be interested to see somebody with your background to kind of vet that research and see. Ginseng is not one that I've really looked into, but I mean, I'd certainly be open to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, I think ginseng's farther down on my list. Just, mm-hmm. I don't know why it's probably, it's probably one of the better ones, but who knows? Yeah. So I know you competed in bodybuilding, right? Yeah. How was it just a one time? Uh, so three, three times total. My last season was in 2019, the fall of 2019. Okay. I didn't realize it was that recently. Okay. So you were doing that then while you're got the crazy schedule and doing the research and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, did you find that staying that busy actually helped? I know a lot of people do say that as far as like not focusing so much on like the constant hunger and all that stuff. Yeah. And I liked it. Like I like to work or work as some people call it. Like mm-hmm. it's just having fun, but yeah, I like to stay busy. Um, hunger does get pretty bad towards the end of prep. And I wasn't like, I would, I could have gotten probably three to five pounds leaner than okay. I did. I was very happy with how I turned out. I was just like, at the end of it, I was like, I got to do life stuff now. And yeah. I'm 147 pounds and, okay. you know, at about how tall, uh, five, seven, seven half, okay. five, eight, somewhere yeah. there. Yeah. It's, um, for me, it's, it's the sleep that really messes with me because I, I don't know, not a lot like affects me. It's like, like it it takes a lot to like piss me off, for example, (laughs) but if I get bad sleep or even just the idea that I'm going to get bad sleep, like I might feel fine on a, on a day of bad sleep, but just knowing that I got really bad sleep, which is probably something I just need to let go. But, um, you know, as I get hungry, cause I always wake up throughout the night cause I drink a lot. So I'm up to pee. And then what happens is after that, like first or second time, I can't get back to sleep. So it's very common for me to be up at like three and then like, that's it. I just don't fall back asleep. And that obviously compounds on itself. You then just get more worn out, you get more fatigued. So um, that I've never been like what I would call like truly contest lean. I've gotten quite lean, but not to where I'd, I'd feel comfortable, like not like stride glutes lean, Um, and then honestly, I just don't have the desire to do it. I I really don't like it's, it's, I don't see any point for me. Like, I, you know, you competed. So it obviously, it makes sense. If I was going to step on stage and say, yeah, I want to be as lean as possible. Even if in person I look anorexic, (laughs) you know, which is often, unfortunately how it is. Um, but I do have clients who will say like, I want to get absolutely peeled. I want to be able to step on stage without stepping on stage. And I mean, look, if that's your goal, that's fine. Um, but to me, I'm like, I, I feel like nobody wants to do that again. <laughs> you know, like if they, if maybe they wanted to do it and then they were like, wow, this actually sucked way more than I thought. 
And it's funny because like, you know, I don't know if everybody's looked at like happiness research or just like mood and stuff like that. And to most things, people tend to adapt and you get used to your situation. I, at least, and I think a lot of people feel like life was just objectively less enjoyable at like very lean levels of chronic dieting. I don't know yeah. if that was your experience, but it, it, it is. I know I'll share two, two stories with you. Um, so I, I was probably, you know, four to six weeks out and that's when it starts getting like bad, mm-hmm. um, four, four to eight, depends on how lean, how lean and how fast. Um, but I was st- sitting in the kitchen and my wife comes up to me and she's like talking to me and I'm eating and she, she stops the conversation. She's like, your food guarding. And I had, I had like hold my plate, like with my elbow away from her and wow. like boxing her out. Like, <laughs> I, I totally am. Oh my God. Wow. Um, so that, that happened a couple times, but yeah, it's, it's not pleasant. I, I have to do, or I respond well to cardio. Mm. Um, so I was at the end of my prep, I was doing 20,000 steps a day wow. plus four sessions of like an hour on the bike, uh, per week, four to five, I okay. think I did six in the last couple of weeks, but wow. Yeah. And, and, and where were like, your calories at? I think like 1700 or something. Okay. So not terrible, but still not much. Yeah. No, it's not. It's were you doing refeeds? Uh, not the last like four to eight weeks. Cause I was just pushing. I was like, okay. I, I, if I'm going to make it, we're just going to have to go. Yeah. So 1700 isn't absurdly low. I mean, I've definitely heard lower, even from guys a lot bigger than you. So that's, that's actually pretty good, but that is a lot of cardio. Um, you know, and I'm amazed when I hear these like high step counts because I don't consider myself like lazy, but I don't, I guess I just don't move around that much. I mean, I go from patient to patient and I actually bought, like, I've, I've never had like new technology, but I actually did buy the Apple watch. And just cause I felt like, okay, I'm actually curious. I mean, that was the only reason I got it, but I knew the step count would be accurate rather than having my phone like with me half the day that doesn't catch everything. So even like, I'm just going to check right now. So I had a fairly busy day with patients, but I didn't do any intentional cardio. So I'm at 3166 steps today. That's it. <laughs> and that is honestly, like, if I don't do cardio, I'm probably in the three or 4,000 step range, but then sometimes I'll do cardio and, you know, an hour, of, you know, at walking would be, I find about a thousand per 10 minutes. So yeah. to be doing 20,000, I mean, I don't know if you're just like walking everywhere or yeah, walking everywhere, doing like three, one hour walks a day. Yeah. Wow. Like it was, it was pretty insane and it was warm that it was like, you know, summer in Alabama. So, yeah. I mean, literally the most I ever did was 27,000 and that was like, I mean, just so much walking. It was so like at the end of the day, we was like, it was a beach trip. And then we actually went to another beach and we were going boardwalk all day. And I was like <laughs> exhausted. So for these people who are doing 20,000 and you were in contest prep and do, I mean, that's, you know, kudos to you for pushing through that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good experience. It'll be a while before I compete again. Let's just yeah. say that <laughs> three to five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my weird story from this last cut was, um, and it's funny because obviously it's both, you know, you're looking at, intensity and duration, right? So how steep is the deficit and how long were you doing it? Um, most people can have a pretty steep deficit for a short period of time. I foolishly just wanted to be done this recent cut. And so after like five months of dieting and losing like 20 pounds, it was like a pretty gradual pace. I said, I just want to be done. And I experimented with a thousand calories for two weeks. 
Now, I, I say, every time I tell this story, I say, I do not recommend it. I do not recommend it. It was, I was purely experimenting. Um, and I actually gained weight, which obviously I was in a serious deficit, but I think the response, the stress response was just making me hold the crazy amount of water. Um, so not only did, was it horrible, I mean, it was just awful to do that, but towards the end, I started thinking about like, now I'm going to be able to get refeeds and, and eat normally. And yeah, I, I think it's very common for when you're that dieted down to think about food, of course. And I was for a lot of the prep. But this was the first time where I actually felt, and this is again, again, five weeks of, or sorry, five months of dieting. And then this like absurd two weeks of like starvation. I actually felt almost like manic, which I've never mm. experienced before, but I, I found myself like giddy at the idea of like that. I'm going to be able to eat more. And like, like it was weird. Like I actually, like 10 minutes later, I was like, like I was able to step back and be like, what the hell was that? Like, it was like un irrationally happy <laughs> about the idea of food. And uh, still, I look back on that situation. I was like, that was very odd. And I've never, because I never been that crash dieted before. So it just kind of underscored to me how much something like that can change your psychology, you know, and it really affect your brain and the way you think when you're like that starved and dieted down. Yeah. And, and I have to, I, I mean, I fought like, food focus every prep like on the back end of it takes me like six to seven months to get back to normal wow that's quite a long <laughs> yeah, time i mean yeah and and again i'm getting pretty lean but i'm yeah. not like i don't quite have striated glutes i'm like right on the edge um yeah. but yeah it's it's At, what it's is your weight or your rate of weight regain um after a contest um, okay. So let's see. Uh, I could do percentages, but it's probably easier if I just do like pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was about 147 on stage. And then what I try to tell most people and what I like to do is you, you need to gain some fat back, right? Especially mm -hmm. if you've lost, like if you're lean, like you just need fat on your body because it does things to help your health. Um, so five to seven pounds that first like week. So it's, it's pretty good push, but then after that, it's very much slower. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, a pound or two per week ish until you get back to where you're comfortable and you're not food focused and, and where everything's somewhat normal. Um, yeah. but of course, if you only lose like 10 pounds in a prep, then that's not going to be the way. Right. To go. Right. Yeah. I mean, so what's your like typical uh, off season weight? Like what do you sit around normally? Uh, so I'm like 174 right now. So I usually drop between 25 and 30 pounds. Okay. A, a prep. So it's pretty solid. And are you, would you say you're like reasonably lean right now? I mean, it's obviously hard to tell just looking at you, but yeah. Um, I'm like, this is probably like my, if you want to say like set point, I'm probably okay. right where I'm comfortable. Like I can see abs and I feel good. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I just find that, you know, I try to stay leaner and I can stay leaner than I used to for sure. Um, it's, it's not like terribly hard for me to stay about like beach lean, yeah. Um, but definitely, I mean, there's a point where like, I just don't think I would necessarily ever adapt. I, I mean, I don't think that like an exact set point is there, but I do think there's a level where it's like, you're just, you're never going to feel quite normal doing it. Yeah. And I, I find that a lot of people want to be like that lean. Right. And it's like, yeah, I've talked to probably a dozen or two dozen clients off the edge where I'm like, Hey, like you can't be that lean because you just can't like function normally yeah and and that's okay 
you could get lean for your photo shoot or your competition or whatever. Um, but just naturally we can't walk around that lean. It's just not good for you. But, yeah. you know, well, I also feel like unless you are pretty genetically blessed or you're enhanced, it almost doesn't even benefit you. Or like, I guess if you have like a huge social media, media following, because like, like for me, for example, like, yeah, the pictures I post look better and better when I'm leaner, of course, but like my actual size in person, I easily get more compliments from men and women when I'm bulked up, like not like fat, but you know, if yeah, I'm sitting, yeah. you know, I sit around like a, you know, acceptable, I'll say like 205, you know, I probably best at about 195 and I get quite lean below 185. Yeah. I get way more compliments when I'm bulking up because I wear clothes 99% of the time. That's <laughs> so <right. laughs> that's how you're going to see me. And, and so um, not only is it just how I, I feel, but I mean, really like, unless you are like, I would probably have to have I don't know, another 20 pounds of muscle to look reasonably built while like shredded, like while like peeled, you know? Um, Cause honestly to be completely peeled, I'd have to be in the one seventies like easily. So yeah. I, I, and at six, one, that's, that's not a big guy, you know, it's just not. So yeah. I, I think some people have unrealistic expectations as far as like what a life being lean all the time is even going to be, you know? Yeah. And, and again, for social media, you kind of understand, but then for the average person, like who goes to work and does stuff, you're like, well, I mean, yeah, it's not super great to be. Right. Lean. Right. So, you know, speaking of like the clients and dieting down, I know, um, I, I guess it's somebody you had worked with and you had talked to me about trying this, uh, this program. If you want to kind of delve into that, I know I, I said I was going to get into it. And then these last weeks have been insane. So I, I haven't done it as much as I said I was going to, but yeah, yeah, no, that's totally fine. Um, so one, one of the students I was mentoring um, developed a machine learning algorithm and it, it helps you kind of find your maintenance calories. And then from there, you could either choose to bulk or cut or, you know, we have, we've developed ranges within like speed at which you want to bulk or speed at which you want to cut with recommendations and stuff based on a lot of the writing I've done. Um, but he has it's a super sweet program. So it's called Log Smarter. And it's based on a doubly labeled water set, which is like the gold standard for energy expenditure. Um, most equations are based on um, basal metabolic rate. So that's just like you laying there with a mask on and it measures your CO2 output. And then you tell the researchers how much you move, which is not that great. Yeah. Um, so this, the doubly labeled water, you drink it, and then you basically pee in a cup and they measure it and they can tell how much energy you've expended over a certain amount of time. And so he had this like 800 person data set, which is insane. Like there are, most researchers cannot get the data that he had. Um, so it's built on this really nice foundation and like the, the people within the data set are all shapes and sizes. So you have, you know, good background. Um, but I think, just the, the way he's built out the program is so easy to follow. Mm -hmm. It's like you plug in your calories and it adjusts your calories each day. And then you have a range too, right? Because if I, if I give you a calorie, like a, a, spe a spe special number, you might get too focused on hitting it. Right. And all of these uh, energy expenditure estimations, they have error rates, right? So it has like a 5% error rate. So you'll see like a calorie range, like as long as this, you're in this 
um, you'll be good to go. And then as you lose weight, right, if you're losing weight too fast to what you wanted to do, it'll adjust and say, no, 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 increase your calories by like 50 or something. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just this really, really cool machine learning algorithm that I'm, I mean, I'm super excited about it. I've been using it and it figured out my maintenance calories in about 10 days. So it's about okay. 2,400, nice. give or take. And would you say, so something I was recently talking with another uh, coach friend of mine is it, I mean, that program sounds great. And I think like probably, especially because it's adaptable, um, what I find, and I would wonder if it would overcorrect early on. So I will sometimes cut calories more aggressively at the start because your body kind of has that like buffer range where it can maintain, and then you're going to lose a bunch of water. And so it might say, well, you're losing too fast. You know, there's some weight changes that aren't due to actual mass changes. Yeah. And so it, it adapts almost every day. So it would catch that, like say the first week you lost like five pounds, Mm -hmm. right? It would probably pull your calories back up for a day or two and realize that like, that was your new baseline. Mm -hmm. And then put you back into the bracket of, Hey, this is not actually within our goal. Cause we take a rolling average instead of like most coaches do seven days and then you only get an average at the bottom. So ours is the last seven days, like just rolling. Um, so that's that's kind of how to deal with that. Uh, so you hinted at metabolic adaptation, definitely a thing too. So, um, we have, I'm still trying to figure out how to work that in, but there's not really enough data to, to do that like realistically, scientifically. Okay. But wouldn't it also, unless I'm misunderstanding, wouldn't it kind of factor that in if like you are metabolically um, adapting and then you would not be losing weight at a calorie level that you should, would it then look at that and say, well, you're not achieving the goal and then bring the calories down? It would. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I would, I always try to get a little too sciencey sometimes with it. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, we can optimize this better. And it's like, no, yeah. Um, plus my fascination with metabolic adaptation. So, right. 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 Cool. Yeah. So will we be able to have like a link for that for people who are interested when it. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on an app now because okay. apps are everything. Right. Uh, the website is just logsmarter.net. Um, but I'll, yeah, I'll show you like it stuff. So you have it. Awesome. Well, dude, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know we both got to go eat. So uh, yeah. <laughs> where can people find more of your stuff? Uh, most of my stuff's on Instagram now. So it's uh, brob21. Pretty easy to find. Facebook on Facebook, just Brandon Roberts. Um, and I guess if anybody listening has any questions or anything, you know, feel free to shoot, shoot me a DM or whatever. I answer them pretty regularly. So I like to do that. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Take care.